0: To the dark house. I'm Diana,
1: and I'm David.
0: It's Riverdale, season seven, episode nine, chapter one twenty-six. Betty and Veronica double digest. After devising a plan to bring in some money at the Babylonian, Veronica is surprised to learn somebody may be sabotaging her. Elsewhere, after beginning sessions with Dr. Worthers, Betty begins to question his motives.
1: Well, it's a classic B and V episode.
0: And yet they share like almost no time together. So like they all, no, which is total. It's totally fine. That's part of the conceit of the Betty and Veronica double digest. Yeah, I love that use the the fonts for Betty and Veronica. That that always brings so me joy. Good. There are many. Um. Oh, there are so many callbacks in this. This episode, it's very fun. Um, I like you know. Schemy Veronica, trying to outwit you know, her parents, and um Betty Drew was on the case. Love it. Mm-hmm. Right. it's fun. It's fun times. Uh, overall, the episode is kind of womp womp. but in terms of filler, it's the fun filler episode it is I just there's also a world where this didn't have to
1: be filler where you could have actually started dropping some hints here, yeah, in a better just... in a bigger way,
0: yeah. I mean, the fact that we're at episode nine and it was only last episode that we had the return of Tabitha seems like, okay, y'all, you need to get this moving towards a thing. I just they they telegraphed
1: so much that they were going to reveal something and then they didn't. And I was like, come on.
0: (laughs) Well, we say that, but I do have some comments about that. I I think they did kind of reveal a little bit more. We'll Well, we'll get to it. Um, We start the episode with Jughead. He's sitting at Pops. He's got a stack of Brad Rayberry's books just covering the table. And he is just in his grief. So that's uh, where he's like basically stuck for this whole episode. He's having a sad. He's having a sad. And you know what? Fair. Someone he liked and admired is dead. So, uh, yeah. We cut on over to Dr. Werther's office. And it is time for Betty to talk about her feelings. Betty. It's a lot. We get the Betty font. Love it. No more cheerleading because it is too sexual an environment, which Betty's like, high school's a pretty sexualized environment. <laughs> and she's like, we're we're like packed in like sardines. Like what what do you think? And where there's like this is an academic institution. You know, this is where you're supposed to learn without being morally and physically compromised, to which but he's like, you obviously haven't spent a lot of time in gym class. So he's thinking the words, you know, nymphomaniac, exhibition, sexual, compulsive. And Betty's like, what do you want to know? Because she's just, she is super annoyed by like him stating all these things. He's like, well, what was your first sexual memory? Oh, this is such a disgusting thing to ask
1: first of all yes absolutely but there is a part of it initially where he he's he's a too heavy handed but there's mm-hmm. also a level of reality here it's like you are showing kind of something unhealthy like in reality today if a kid did that in front of like everyone mm-hmm. i don't think it would be out of the realm of a good I, I, of a good therapist or counselor to be like Let's talk about this a minute.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is just... Yes, it's very heavy-handed, and it's just like, this guy is a creep, and we know that. So it's just like, ugh.
1: It's, it's gross. The flip side is, it's actually worth exploring to an extent, because, hey, Betty, why are you this fucking horny? hmm
0: Which people can just be horny um so we get a little flashback to you know young Archie and young Betty and they're playing Operation and like the board game and so then you know it buzzes and like Betty just kind of gets a smile on her face and so she tells Dr. Worthers, I don't remember And he goes (laughs) how often do you think about sex and then we get our favorite song from season two Yes, we knew this would be coming back. Why? Because betty has been having a lollipop in her mouth for, like, the last five episodes. Uh, yes, I totally called that, aside from it just being a straight-up callback. Well, then. So we get this little scene, this this little imagination of... Betty sees Archie, Betty kisses Archie, Betty sees Fang and then she starts making out with him on top of his car. Betty sees Jughead in the hallway and and attacks him to kiss him. Betty sees Veronica in the locker room and starts to kiss her. Betty sees Reggie in the hallway. Next thing you know, they're getting it on in a shower. And then she walks into chemistry class where we see Dilton with a, you know, science project volcano. I love the fake out here because you think then you're going to see Betty and Dilton making out. But no, it's just that the volcano erupts and Betty is just breathless. And so she's just like, um, an average amount. And he's (laughs) like, I need a number. Especially
1: because he has to snap her back into reality.
0: Which is great. And so she mentions what Dr. Kingsley says teenagers think every seven seconds. And Werther's is quick to dismiss it. That is for teenage boys. It's very different for teenage girls. And she's just like, okay, well, then I would say I think about sex all the time. And he starts making notes. What did you just write down? Uh, Just um, notes. Uh, Never mind. And Werther's gets on about like, you know.
1: Sex is for procreation.
0: He gets on to like, you know, sex is for married people, for uh for you know to have families and but like i don't think that makes sense like what about like my dad's girly magazines to which uh were there's just like huh and so betty retells the story about like having found um some magazines in her dad's sock drawer looking for his cufflinks, and he's just like well your father's not in therapy you are and she's like well maybe he should be and where there's just like well he's a grown man i'm a child psychiatrist and And Betty's like, I am not a child either. She's like, I don't think I want to get married, at least not anytime soon. Maybe never. I just want to make an impact on the world instead of or in addition to just having a family. Oh. Oh, okay. So, like, she wants to, like, just be a person. (laughs) Well, but. no, like, that's, that's valid. Like, her only job isn't to become a wife and mother. No, no. This
1: is an absolute valid thought process. It is also a big ding, ding, ding red flag, flag on the play, echoing back to our past. Yes, Betty is not sure exactly what she wants to be doing.
0: Well, she want. Well, current Betty or, or in our timeline, Betty didn't know, and then she was deciding that she didn't have to decide. Uh and that she wanted to keep her options open like she didn't want to take a job just for a boy versus not just i mean it's just as stupid to go to a school you know because a boy is going there as it is to not go to a school because a certain boy is there um yeah she's she's just she's trying to figure out like what it is she actually wants not what other people expect from her so what happens next betty is at home reading in her room and alice brings her some Wedding magazines so she can Mm -hmm. daydream about her wedding. And Betty is like, huh? And Alice just goes on and on. She goes, when I see you in that white dress standing at the altar, it's going to be the happiest day of my life.
1: Riverdale. Riverdale. Another flag on the play.
0: A big flag on the play. Because this is where I'm starting to feel something else is amiss. I know you've talked about, like, the adults are brainwashed. But I keep thinking, I keep being like, where's our cult? Where's our actual cult? No, the town is our cult. The town is our actual cult here. And this is the responsibility of the adults. They're all bought in. They've all been appropriately brainwashed or controlled in some way that this is what we have to do. Uh,
1: Yes. And this could be them all in their own minds. Getting attacked by some force within there that is manifest as the parents. Perhaps. But I I totally agree with you. I don't know that it's like, obviously, the show, we automatically revert to cults because that's what it is. But I think it it fits more with this final season Mm -hmm. and the fact that we're in this sort of limbo state. Mm-hmm. If it's not necessarily that they're the parents, it's all of the things that have haunted them this whole time.
0: Well, I get the Stepford Wives vibe. And so that's where I'm feeling like, oh, it's a it's a community specifically for X. So that's where I get into the whole cult thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's something akin to that. I it, It's interesting. And, and I, I think the other part of it is like none of these people feel like they're actual parents. Mm hmm. Because we've seen a lot of transformations of the different adults in this store. So it seems very odd to revert back to a state where they were even more unstable than where they began, well, unless it was something deeper within the kids themselves.
0: See, I believe that this is what the adults attempt to save their town and their children is to put them in these nice, neat little boxes. And so that's the plan. That doesn't
1: quite make sense to me after everything we've seen.
0: Well, nothing's going to be wholly satisfying.
1: Oh, no. This show's going to end on a
0: giant
1: bummer. I know that for a fact. Most likely.
0: The the chances of that are very high. But in keeping with a few things that continue to happen through this episode, that's the vibe I'm getting. You're
1: totally correct in general. It's interesting where I think we just we have different ideas of how that's manifest, but we both agree that is what's Mm -hmm. going on.
0: We cut to Veronica giving out tickets at school. We see the Veronica Veronica font. Um, And Cheryl wants to know what is going on. And it's time for everyone to get to see East of Eden. (laughs) Uh, Cheryl's like, as the president of the James Dean fan club, I will deliver my fan club members and also the River Vixens. And she's like, I can also bring the bulldogs. And Veronica's like, No, no, no! I'll do that. I'll take care of that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she has someone particular she needs to invite.
0: Yes, um, but while this is happening, you know, Clay and Kevin are like, Hey, you know, why are you giving away all these tickets to this, you know, to the the movie theater? And Veronica's like, Hey, guys, uh, I'm just going to let you in know a little secret. We actually make our actual money with the food. So i'm inviting everybody and then they'll buy snacks and that's where we'll make a ton of money cool great uh so she goes off to the boys locker room and she's putting tickets in their in their lockers (laughs) and uh most of the boys are shirtless because in comes reggie and archie and she's asking them to come to the theater to come um she makes a comment about how Jimmy Dean used to do the same thing in high school. And Reggie's like, huh? was like, oh, he was a basketball star just like you. <laughs> so she's she's inviting him. It's very cute.
1: She's more than inviting him.
0: Oh, she's basically telling him, you better come. We cut to the theater. There's tons of people there. Reggie's there. He says hi. She goes, hey, you know, after this, why don't you take me for a milkshake? And he's like, okay. All right. Like, he's he's warmed up to this idea and then kevin comes in and goes like hey there's a problem so they rush up to the projector room and it's a bad print it's been overexposed so all the reels are unusable so yeah she is they're very upset so we go out to the theater and they're all being very rowdy fangs is like the leader of the come on let's get this movie going
1: he likes to throw popcorn a lot
0: it's just this is a disrespectful movie theater behavior
1: they're teenagers in 1955.
0: Um. So Veronica comes out. It's like, hey, this is what's happened. They're all booing and throwing popcorn. Cheryl demands a refund. And Veronica's like, your tickets were free. He's like, uh-uh, we bought all this food and we wouldn't have done that without coming to see the movie, but we're not doing it anymore. So give us a refund. And she's like, yeah, yeah, sure.
1: It's like Jimmy Dean died all over again.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. So then we cut to like, you know, she's been working on the cash register and like giving people the refunds. and. Reggie comes back and she's like, hey, um, as much as I'd like to. And he finishes that You've got a business to take care of. And she's like, yeah. And we're hanging on by a thread And which Reggie's like, yeah, I figured that. And so she goes, I'll take a rain check. And he goes, yeah. And he's like, just let me know what's good for you, which is very sweet. He's very gracious about it. And she is actually very like this is one of the times where she isn't like super pushy. And I like that because i that's one of my favorite things about the Reggie-Veronica relationship is that, like, she could be softer with him. And he didn't, like, take that as a weakness. He was just like, oh, yeah, I get to see this other side of you.
1: She's vulnerable.
0: She can be. Ah! Well, like, and he didn't pounce on it. Like, it was just like, okay. Like, he knew she'd be, you know, back being a boss bitch in five minutes. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um... So, so he goes and Veronica's like, all right, we got to figure out what's going on. So she starts calling studio heads and Mr. Roth is just like, oh, no, uh, I don't have any more prints available. And she's like, why would you send us a bad one? He's like, oh, it's just, you know, it was a mistake. Accept our apologies. Um, but no, we can't help you out.
1: Not when we're trying to get in business with your with parents.
0: Parents. So they start calling all the studios and they all turn her down there are a couple of different things that are said mostly that she is too green to be running a theater wrong thing to tell veronica oh absolutely so she has figured out that she's being sabotaged by her parents no plays like hey why don't we try some indie studios because they don't have you know they don't have as much writing they don't have as much writing on a movie being like super successful. Like they just want it to get seen. And she's like, Oh, you mean B movies? Yeah, let's do it. So they're going to, they're going to start calling indie films.
1: (laughs) I mean, to be fair in 19, in the 1950s, B horror was the independent movie scene. Oh yeah. And it's, it's so funny that that's what gave birth to our, you know, newest crop of directors that started with nothing. It was all done through the B. Schlock horror pictures who were Mm -hmm. like, we'll give anybody a chance as long as you keep the budget low. Yeah. And then they got valuable experience making those movies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Back to Betty.
0: Back to Betty. We go to Dr. Werther's office and now he's asking about her dreams. Do you remember them? Sometimes. Are your dreams sexual? Sometimes. Well, what is your most vivid, frequent sexual dream She's like, it's the one where I'm in biology class. I'm the teacher tutoring one of my students. Which student? It varies. Which one? It's mostly Archie.
1: (laughs) We do see all of
0: them. We do see all of them. We see her um, with a very low-cut, exposed bra, top situation, leaning over a student. It's Archie. Then it's Fangs. Then it's Betty. Then it's Jughead. Then it's Reggie. We go through all the same people, but then it goes back to Archie. And so then they... They start making out and then she realizes the whole class is watching her. And he's just like, he's asking more questions. Um, it's like, oh, do you tell anyone about your dreams? She goes, No, just my diary. And he's writing notes. She's like, What are you writing in there? And he goes, just observations. Um like a diary. And it's like, where does this urge come from? It's like, you know, to to be, you know, to titillate you. It must make it more exciting to be seen. And she's like, I think it's just to be seen as a person with autonomy and desire and self-determination. It's just like, you know, she feels like maybe the best way to understand a person is to understand their desires, including your own. Music cue. Yeah, oh no, the bell is rung. It's time to go back to class.
1: Uh, Dr. Worthers has somehow accidentally unlocked a massive portal of Betty self-realizing as a person.
0: Oh no, she's having independent thoughts. Stop well, it. Stop but this it. is also
1: this is also articulating a whole bunch of stuff for Betty that she hasn't been able to do in 6 seasons of this television show. Pretty much. Like that is the bigger thing to me here.
0: Mm, I don't think that's necessarily true, but it's a very common trope for women um and and young women that like they're not allowed to have desires, they're not allowed to be sexual without being punished for it. Uh, it's just very common.
1: The being seen part is really interesting for Betty.
0: I don't think that is as that's not a current timeline Betty problem. Mm, I don't know. I, I she don't,
1: keeps trying to prove herself over and over and over again.
0: Prove herself at what?
1: Everything. Why the hell did she go join
0: the FBI? Because she is obsessive with serial killers. Why? Because she has to win. Be-
1: yes, she wants it's for quote, unquote, justice.
0: <laughs> no. Yeah. Be- Betty, it's not about fame or notoriety. She has to solve the problem in front of her. It's the itch she can't scratch.
1: And she's starting to realize that she is the f- final solution to that problem.
0: In our timeline, Betty is obsessive over the problem solving. That's why I call her Betty Drew. That's her outlet. She wasn't overly sexualized or frustrated in those ways. She had a super controlling mom, but Betty took charge of all of that. And was like, I'll just lie to you and get you to fuck off because I don't care. She was going to do things in spite of her mom. Betty here is still going to do things in spite of her mom, but Betty doesn't have an outlet like that. So part of any sexual frustration is the only outlet she is personally finding to figure out what she personally wants. She does not feel seen. Current timeline, Betty is definitely seen. It's just a very different outlet. I don't know.
1: I think there's something there.
0: They can be related. Recognition is nice, but... Current, our current timeline, Betty. I do not see her as someone who needs constant attention and recognition. That's Veronica.
1: <laughs>
0: well, Speaking that's of Veronica, too. hey, she is now at Pop. She's getting some food, and she sees Chuckhead in his booth. So she says hello to Old Holden Caulfield. He's
1: still very sad
0: he's very sad his his books have shuffled around and she asks <laughs> him if he knows about a movie called the crawling eye and he's like yeah it's old uh, it's not the best but i like the monster and so she mentions that yeah that's the only film she could get at her theater and so he's like why don't you do it william castle did she's like huh what and this movie guy set up buzzers for a film called The Tingler so that when they were watching it, they would get buzzed. And it was a gimmick. And people went nuts for it. And she goes, oh, okay. So sell the gimmick, not the movie. I can do that. It's a scheme. Veronica can totally do a scheme.
1: Veronica's got a scheme. Uh, Interesting thing, probably just them not caring too much. Both of these movies came out after
0: 1955.
1: Hmm. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't come up. Maybe it does. But that is interesting to me.
0: Our characters are actually our time our timeline. They were sent back to a different universe to save them. Yeah. So it would make sense that some of these details would start to get messed up. And this is also a great thing. When was East of Eden?
1: East of Eden was 1955.
0: Okay. So it would make sense that things would start to get mishmashed. I could also see them just being like, we don't give a fuck. We just need something recognizable to talk about.
1: They just came up with some movie history and didn't think about the years. That's, that's more likely, but you know, we're looking for things. That's interesting. We're putting an asterisk by that.
0: We cut on over the Cooper house and oh, there's a reverend there from Riverdale First Reformed Presbyterian Church.
1: Oh, first reformed.
0: Yes. Um
1: he
0: he is there to take Betty's confession and if necessary, her possible exorcism, to which Betty sees, Oh, all of her diaries are just in a clump. Hey, that's happened before. And Betty's like, Where did you get those? They were prescribed to me. <laughs> <laughs> and Betty's like, I knew you were talking with Dr. Worthers, but I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't think this would be happening. And you're breaking and entering. You know, if you're so hot to trot with Dr. Worthers, why don't you come to therapy with me? To which Alice is like, oh, I am an adult woman. I don't need therapy. <laughs> so Betty leaves in a huff. And so she just keeps repeating in her head, breaking and entering, breaking and entering. So we cut to Betty Drew at school at night. And she is on the case. She goes to Dr. Werther's office. The drawer is locked. And oh, what does she pull out of her head? A bobby pin. A bobby pin. And it, it takes a minute. And she goes, it always worked in the Tracy True novels. And sure enough, she's able to open it. She finds a switchblade, a slingshot, some comic books, and Lolita.
1: I, I have some feelings about this. They really scared me when they pulled this book out. Mm-hmm. Because I got to tell you, people don't understand the point of Lolita. They don't. Mm-hmm. The, the book is intentionally difficult. Yeah, and I it's... was real concerned. Yeah. Uh, fun note: Lolita was released in 1955, mm, okay. but also like really hard to find.
0: Oh yeah, they 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 mention it. Yeah. So we cut on over to Pops, and Betty has come to find Jughead. She sees all the books. Like, wow, you're even bigger bookworm than I am. So hey, um, you heard of Lolita? And he and she shows him the book. He goes, oh my goodness, holy moly, where'd you get this? And he, she kind of like, I borrowed it from a friend. What can you tell me about it? He says, well, it Nabokov's latest novel, Salacious, according to the Paris Review. It's about a relationship between a professor and a young girl. How young? 12. Yep. And but he's like, 12? So it's a book for perverts? To which, yeah, sort of. Yeah, a lot. But I like whole Jughead does say, passing moral judgment on a work of art is a slippery slope. I... Here's
1: the thing, it is not a book for perverts, but it's real fucking complicated. It
0: it it is very complicated. It's still not great. But I understand that's her first response. Like, what? This is ridiculous. And also given her current situation with Dr. Worthers, yeah, why do you have this? I would ask the same questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of like it's kind of like a wink and a nod to be like, it's a slippery slope to be passing judgment on art. <laughs> I'll save
1: comment until later because they do actually circle around to the real point here. Sure. And I appreciate it.
0: The Jug asks if she's read it and she goes, that's what I'm about to do. Um, So she goes home and she is back to reading under her covers again. Mm-hmm. We cut back to school the next day and Veronica is showing a trailer for the movie, The Crawling Eye. And she's like, we're going to be uh, showing it in the fourth dimension. Cheryl is like, don't you mean third dimension? No fourth and Dilton's like time is the fourth dimension shut up dilton so everybody's gonna
1: say it at some point
0: i i really do love it because i find it very funny
1: i need archie and betty to do it even in the nicest way like i need i need it to be where the only time archie does it is when dilton is talking in a moment where they need him to be quiet Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like everybody's super nice but he looks just like shut
0: up dilton um, so she's inviting them all. She uh, checks in on Kevin and Clay, who are got their balls ready. Um, they are making some paper mache items with some beach balls. And oh. then outside, she stops with Archie and Reggie saying, hey, I need you two, um to be some performers for what will amount to about two minutes of work. And they're kind of like, okay, what's up? She tells Clay and Kevin to cover your balls.
1: Oh, Veronica.
0: Cover your balls. We cut to Betty walking down the hall and she runs into Dr. Werther's and he's just like, Oh, I hope you're coming to our appointment. And she goes, I have some reading to finish, mm. but then I'll be back tomorrow. We'll have plenty to discuss. And he's a little like, "Um, okay. Mm. Uh, we cut to the movie theater. It's time for the crawling eye. And uh, Cheryl shows up and she's very skeptical about all of this stuff. Veronica says, we do have a nurse on duty in case you faint. And it's Midge to which Cheryl's like, I am so disappointed in you. <laughs> it's very funny. So Midge just wants to have fun. Midge just wants to have fun. Just poor, knocked up Midge making bad decisions. Sweet, sweet Midge. She's just there to make out with her boyfriend in, in the theater. It's great. Yeah. Um. So the movie plays. Everyone's got 3D glasses on. And then we see fog comes in under their feet. And Cheryl, you know, takes a whiff is like, what's going on? What's this? And so then on the screen, we see that the fog is now covering the screen. And then all of a sudden, two monsters with giant eyeballs for their heads and tentacles come out. And it's, of course, Archie and, and Reggie. And they're going in the audience and, you know, smacking people. And everyone's just having a lot of fun. They think it's great.
1: Mitch jumps
0: fangs mm-hmm. it's great it's very cute it's like <laughs> uh we cut to Betty's next appointment with Dr. Werther's and she asks him about this book and he says well I am doing research um you know because of what we're dealing with here and she's like um uh, no you cannot compare me to Lolita and he's just like, no, no, she's a sex crazed young woman. It's like she is a 12 year old girl and she is not sex crazed. She's being coerced against her will, much like I am. So tell me what you learned from reading Lolita. And he just is just like, what? And he's he's not he's clearly not used to being confronted with, you know, contradictory thinking or, you know, reason. And she's like, you're a kissing cousin to Humpert. Humpert only creepier, and it's completely inappropriate for you to be asking me all these questions about my sexual fantasies and experiences behind closed doors, and I no longer feel comfortable being alone in a room with you. Thank you,
1: Riverdale.
0: Correct. Correct. This is the
1: thing about Lolita, and it is it is it it is arguable that Nabokov still didn't get his point across, but also it was taken in media by people who did not read the book. Mm -hmm. The book starts with a description from an insane asylum of how dangerous the protagonist Humbert Humbert is, Mm -hmm. an English professor, and what a deviant he is because he is a pedophile. Mm -hmm. They say it up front. Then the whole book is from his perspective as an unreliable narrator. And Nabokov's point was, can I write a novel where the 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 protagonist is so deplorable and yet you still come away following his story? Now, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but when you read it, it makes he makes it very clear that Dolores Hayes, who they reference, love that too. Mm-hmm. They reference her actual name.
0: Yeah, they didn't like Riverdale her. At like-
1: no point. The book is very careful in that Humbert Humbert romanticizes it, but Nabokov still portrays it without the sheen Mm -hmm. of her very much recognizing this 12-year-old girl. Oh my God, this man's horrible.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: All of it is there. And so it's an incredibly complicated book that always gets portrayed in the wrong way. Yeah. And thank God (laughs) they made the actual point of the book.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or at least what I think the, the, the message of the book should be nowadays, which really is that it's like there is no amount of massaging or assuaging the situation that makes it okay, mm-hmm. regardless of what flowery prose this person can give you. Mm-hmm. So, Riverdale writers, here's a win. Thank you.
0: <laughs>
1: and that's my soapbox for this episode.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut on over to outside the theater. Veronica's walking up and she can see there is a line around the block for people waiting to get in. And she goes inside. She's in her office. And Archie and Reggie are there with their costumes. And they're like, "Um, hey, you know, this was great, but we can't do this as a regular thing. And she's like, oh, I, you know, I, you two know when to ask uh, for raise. I respect your moxie and your balls. I'll pay you $2 per show going forward. And they're just like, we can't. We have basketball practice games. And uh, she's like okay, you're we're we're not playing this anymore. Um, you're not the stars. The eyeballs are. And she's like, "Fine, I'll get Kevin and Clay." and they're like, Okay, cool." And they just leave, and she's like, Oh man, the <laughs> I... moxie and your balls referencing the beach balls absolutely, so funny, but Reggie kind of stays behind because Archie's like quick to leave. He was asking about having a date that night, and she goes, "Hey, you know, I've got to make some calls after the show." Come by tomorrow and we'll see. And he's just like, okay. He's going to keep trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut back to the Cooper house. And Alice is just like, well, Dr. Weather says he wants to end his sessions with you, but he has to fix you. Um, So I will not let him. And Betty's just like, fix me how? Like, why don't you just talk to me? Tell me about, you know, like, let's talk about how unhappy I think you are. And she's just like, what? And you can tell there's just this. Like this, scene is so well acted by Mage and Amick because you, there's this flash on her face of something did happen. And it was in this scene where I started asking, where is Polly? What happened to Polly? Because why would Alice be so afraid for Betty, of Betty, which she goes on to say, what happened with Polly? Now we know what happened to Polly in our timeline, but what happened to her here. And I believe it's this is where it made me go. They're all in on it. They're trying to force their kids on these particular paths to save them. Where's Polly and what happened to her?
1: Well, it could be that the people resurrected are gone again.
0: Well, it um, maybe, but it could also just be that she, I, I could see the same sort of thing happening to her as like, you know, they forced her into a marriage. And it didn't work out. Now she's in, you know, the Sisters of Quiet Mercy Looney bin. Um, you know, where they keep the 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 girls who can't um or won't comply with what's expected of them. And she knows it's not a good place. So she's terrified that that's where Betty's gonna end up. So I don't know. But anyways, this starts this they start going on and Hal bursts in. And Betty's just like, Can you like, can you give us a minute? We're having a conversation. He's just like, no. You will like you, you are not going to talk to your mother this way after she has sacrificed for her. And you can tell Alice is terrified of Hal. And She's, she wants to, she wants to say it. She wants to give this up. She, she wants to do something. But Betty is just like, what has she sacrificed? Tell me, tell me. And like, she just keeps asking. And Hal just tells her, go to your room um, now. And so she does. <laughs> So, like, this is where it, like, I, like, I felt like, okay, some, like, we have really started to break, and so Hal is definitely one of the keepers of, like, we got to keep the line. Now, is that because Hal's a serial killer, or like, you know, he's one of the enforcers for whatever's happening? Neither would surprise me. He is a secret blossom, regardless of which timeline we're in. He is still a secret blossom.
1: Well, there's, there's also this weird element of tenderness to the way the parents have acted at times.
0: Well, they're trying to have a gentle hand, but there's so much like manipulative, like unsaid force behind it.
1: Yeah. And it would be interesting to figure out who do we think is just a shell? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Clifford Blossom, who doesn't exist in our timeline. Hal, who in theory doesn't exist in our timeline. Mm -hmm. Versus Alice, who very much is Mm -hmm. around maybe some of the parents are there and some aren't Mm -hmm. like, maybe we're going to see some of this from Tom Keller as we get into things. Yeah. So that, I think that may be even more realistic is like the ones who are dead in our timeline are totally not here anymore. And they are evil figures and shadowy. And the rest of the grownups are terrified.
0: Mm, I'm not sure. We cut to the next morning, Betty's coming down for breakfast, and Alice, this, she is so Stepford wife robotic, and she's just like, Betty is just like, no, I want us to figure out a path forward, but it's not Dr. Werther's, and Alice says, I relieved him of his duties this morning, and he decided not to press charges against you for breaking into his office.
1: Betty makes a little grimace.
0: And she's like, that's good. <laughs> um, everything I've been trying to do my entire life for you, protecting you, trying to help you. It's obvious. You don't want it. So I'm stopping. You have all the answers. You know everything. Seems to me that you don't need a mother anymore. Marvelous. You don't have one. And so she gets up and she starts to walk away. And he's like, what are you saying? I am not your mother anymore. You can make your own damn breakfast. Well. Okay, Alice. This is a
1: pretty typical Alice overreaction. Totally. At least season one, Alice. Mm Mm-hmm. Or season five, Alice. It took a while for her to finally get over her own bullshit.
0: Well, you know, she had all that Hal crap, and then she had to like admit to the fact that like she was part of the problem. So we cut to Reggie. He's at the theater. He's you know waiting for Veronica. Like he looks at Kevin. Like does she know I'm here? And he's like, Yeah, been in a half an hour. It's like, Hey, her phone's ringing off the hook. She'll be down soon. So we cut to Veronica taking phone calls, and you know the same producer guys like oh yes we would be so happy to be in business with you um riverdale's got great audiences and um you know tell your parents that you know we're just loving working with you <laughs> um and so she comes down and she's like where's reggie and kevin's like he got tired of waiting so but he left those for you and it's a bouquet of flowers that reggie had brought oh do 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 so then Veronica goes home and she's trying to open the door, but it's not working. And Smithers arrives and it's like, um, your parents no longer feel that you need nor deserve their financial support now that you're a roaring success. So as soon as you have a new address, I'm to move your belongings. And Veronica just is kind of like, yeah, an eye for a crawling eye. She's like, I already, <laughs> I already know we'll be staying in the short term, at least. So then we see her setting up a little bed for herself on the couch in her office at the Babylonium. Of course, that's where she's going to be. And then we cut over to pops and Jughead is finishing November County or November country. I can't remember which one is ours. <laughs> and he's just decided, you know, he's done morning and he's ready to move on. And pops comes by and is like, you know, chocolate, vanilla, or strawberry. And he's like, I think I'll take the check. And so he's getting up and he's packing his stuff. He was like, I'm, I'm done mourning. I'm I'm done wallowing. I'm ready to move on. And we we can hear him say, you know, I I think he'd want me to move on. And then we start seeing a siren, seeing like the the whirl of the cop car. And in comes Tom. It's like Jughead. We're still working the Rayberry suicide case and we need your help if we're going to solve it. And as Jughead says in his head so much for moving on, the lights on his face are flickering and there is another tendril of hair fallen down to the side of his face, mimicking almost exactly the same scene from season one. Riverdale. Riverdale. Oh, shit.
1: Yep. Chughead's about to be on the case
0: again, y'all.
1: Yep. God, please just start telling us what the hell's going on.
0: Or make it more obvious that things are amiss. Like, make it more blatant. Like, I, like, don't get me wrong. If we're going to have 20 episodes, make them good. And the the little tidbits we've gotten here, if they're actually leading to what we are sum- surmising from this, great. Love the slow burn. Where was this all other seasons where we could have been like a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. <laughs> like so that you can – because the thing is you hope when you make a show like this that people who've watched it week to week, when they go back and watch it, you know, in a binge or just turn it on in the background, they'll notice those things that you had continuity-wise throughout. This show is not always great about that. It'll do it for spurts here and there. Um, I think the best season they did this was season or season three with Stonewall Prep. That was the best. So that's, far. That's the one they pulled off very well. Um, so I would like this to pay off in a satisfying way. Hopefully it will. Let's be honest. I mean, I know what show we're watching, but I have faith. <laughs> I'm going to try to have some faith here. Um, <sighs> but yeah, I think... I would hope now that we're kind of at like a a bigger problem that has to be solved in this timeline. We'll start the, to see those cracks more.
1: And starts to really open up the, the final mm-hmm. problem.
0: Yeah. How are they going to, how are they going to get out? Let's go see what happens next time. Well, it looks like another uh, preview that tells you nothing, which can't, can't be mad about. Um, yeah, uh, Jughead and Tabitha are on the case. We see the milkman delivering milk, so I don't
1: know. Ray is going to be a secret CIA agent, calling it now. Oh, uh, okay, fine. It's a very 50s thing to do, and there's all these files and stuff on him. I guarantee you he like had some sort of spy thing going on.
0: That'd be cool.
1: Plays into the whole like it also plays into the whole Red Scare thing going on here, too.
0: I also okay, so that means that Pep Comets is actually a front for an FBI like sting operation, and that like because that's why Ray Ray was there more often than not.
1: Oh, uh, could be, I
0: mean, I'm that, thinking, that, which that, also that, makes sense because that's where that set is. What, yeah, that could yeah, totally work. That's,
1: and that the real Red Scare are the Blossoms. Ooh.
0: I mean, I'd be fine with it.
1: Come on. It's right there. They're there
0: they're, they're technically. They're undercover. They're investigating the Blossoms maple business because it's clearly a mob run.
1: Oh my God. How much do you want to bet we get an episode in the second half of the season called The Red Scare? I,
0: don't know.
1: I would die. If y'all actually do that, I will laugh so hard. I will be so proud of them for doing that.
0: I mean, we have one called The Crucible, so we'll see. (laughs) If that's not about witches, I quit. (laughs) Like, for real witches.
1: Maybe it'll suddenly be about New England. Mm,
0: Maybe.
1: Look, we got Jughead on the case. You know it's going to be a fun mystery spooky episode. Yeah. With some actual twists and turns.
0: Maybe. Let's hope. So until next time, hashtag.